This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. We have a great episode today. I'm excited to have Pat McDaniel on. Pat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So let me give everybody a little bit of background here. Pat, you're an entrepreneur, um, digital marketer, self-proclaimed investigating Sherpa. And I love that term Sherpa, right? It's somebody who's just a few steps ahead of us on the journey. You're not putting yourself out there as that guru, as that wise guy, but you're just helping the rest of us just kind of follow the path that you're walking in. And I know you're doing that and you're doing it very well. And uh, you, do, uh, you do a lot of research work and then you report um, to this achiever audience that you have, the shortest, surest path to the summit of success. So um, Pat's website is wiseinsights.net. You guys are going to definitely want to check that out. And it's really dedicated to helping motivated but weary people find encouragement and insights to keep moving forward and avoid unnecessary obstacles in their quest to accomplish all that we are seeking. And uh, Pat is focused right now on researching how we can consistently make better decisions. Now, everybody out there listening, if you've ever made a bad decision, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding, because a lot of you are probably driving right now or on the treadmill, and that could have bad consequences, because that'd be, well, definitely me. And so, and there's also a lot of hidden influences often really kind of screw up um, some of the good intentions we have in decision making. So, Pat, thanks for making the time today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And also, at the end of this, you guys, uh, Pat is giving our audience some just some powerful resources. I was going through it before Pat and I started talking, and, and, and uh, you guys are going to love this. So before we jump in, though, Pat, you, you know, we, we were talking right before we started recording, and wh- where the journey you've been on, what God has re- revealed in your life, these ups and downs have been pretty, pretty seismic at, at times, and I'd love for you just to kind of share a little bit about that. Well, happy to. Uh, part of me wishes I didn't have to go through it, but, uh, you know, I, I always would tell God, can you just let me get this lesson from a book or a seminar instead of having to go through it? And, of course, it's not the way it works in life. Um, so my background is really quite varied. Um, you know, when I talk to people who've worked at the same company for 30 years, I think, wow, that's incredible, because for me, um, I was a CPA for a little while. Uh, I felt God calling me to seminary where I went and got a uh, master's of divinity, became a pastor for about 15 years. Then, uh, you know, started doing uh, sales and uh, sales consulting, uh, which I'll tell you about the pastoral stuff in a minute. Then uh, been doing digital marketing now for I don't know, seven, eight years, um, just work with agencies, uh, helping uh, their clients uh, get more leads using online methods like Google and Bing and LinkedIn and Facebook and all that good stuff. So uh, I've just done a lot of different things. I've had a lot of careers, if you want to put it that way. But, uh, um, you know, for me, I've learned one thing. uh, Life is not linear. Um, If you, you know, you watch some infomercial late at night, it just sounds like, you know, if you do A, B, and C, D always happens or your money back. And, uh, okay, if you, you live long enough, you realize that uh, you can do A, B, and C, but D didn't happen. And, 
you feel bad about it. And the next guy does A, B, and C, and D happens to him, and he's strutting around like he's some sort of, you know, genius. And it's just not that simple. So, uh, you know, my journey's been a, full of ups and downs. Uh, how much do you want me to get into, John? Well, you know, I, you know that point you brought up, right? That A, B, C, D, you know, you, you see other people getting that, that one result. And I think a lot of us, you know, we find ourselves um, in multiple situations in our life where it felt like nothing went right. We didn't really know what we would have done differently. You know, and, you know, as you went through that yourself, you know, what, what did you notice? What did you take away that, you know, helped you as you move forward? I think that's kind of a, a great point to kind of dig into a little bit. Well, so for me, uh, I, I was working on staff at a church in Florida, and I was in a kind of a context where God, God had blessed me. Uh, it was also a sense of call that I, I felt, um, working in this ministry. And, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I were looking back would say, you know, we were, we were, we could do no wrong. We were kind of like, uh, we were, we were one of the main conduits for the church's growth was our ministry. And, uh, so, but, you know, I got to a point where God had put it on my heart for a long time to, to start, uh, be a church planter, to start a church. And, uh, and so, you know, at some point it was like, he basically helped me see that it was time to go. I mean, it was just sort of that, it was, it was rather abrupt actually for me. It was, I didn't have a vision or any, didn't hear any audible words, but it was very clear that it was time to go and time to, time to head west. And uh, so we ended up heading west um, from Florida. Uh, we, we had two different places that we worked in, um, and both of them were just really, really difficult situations. Um, <clears throat> they started out looking promising, but they just didn't materialize. And so I wrestled with God a lot over this whole idea of the harvest. You know, it's like, hey, you know, you sent me across country, you, you, you know, put the fire under me to go do this. And then, you know, now you're not showing up. And I was, I was very mad and I was very, very disillusioned and, and very hurt. And I remember having this kind of this, I was on a prayer walk and I remember uh, <clears throat> saying to God, you know, if you'll just give me some assurance uh, to keep going. Or basically, I, I think I saw Saving Private Ryan around that time and that whole mm. Omaha Beach scene where they're trying to go up the cliffs and everything. And, and I basically said, I'll, I'll take the hill. If you'll just give me some assurance, I'll actually make it. And God's like, no, I don't work that way. You know, you, you just go take the hill and, you know, trust that if you make it or you don't make it, you're doing my will. And I didn't like that a bit. I mean, I, I want to know that my outcomes are going to turn out. And God, God was in a, a different business trying to teach me a different lesson that I certainly needed to learn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not really uh, faith or obedience when you say, well, I will if, if it turns out a certain way. And, uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, this plant, church plant that we started after about three years, it just, it just ran out of money. We could not be self-sustaining at that point. And usually it takes five to seven years, but we ran out of the money that we had raised. And, you know, I, uh, I moved back to Atlanta, just basically mad as hell at God. And I said, well, I'm just going to keep my nose clean and I'm going to, you know, get a job and we'll see what happens. And so what do you do in that moment when, when you're, when you're angry at God? Cause he knows you're angry. We don't want to admit that all the time. 
Um, you know, and you know, you felt like he wasn't blessing the labors and you know this mission that he had sent you on. Um, and I think that's something a lot of us can relate to, at you know, at different times along our journey. And you know, what did you notice as you were kind of in the middle of struggling with that? Well, when you're in the middle of it, you you just you can't see straight. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, you've got uh, the 500 pound weight on your chest and you can hardly breathe and, and nothing seems to make sense. And it's just all darkness. And, uh, you know, I read all the dark nights of the soul books and, you know, trying to figure some things out, but only in retrospect, do you kind of go back and go, Oh, Oh, and, and really for me, what, what, what I think God was doing for me, there were many lessons. One of the lessons was that <clears throat> it was not about, this vision of what I thought things were going to be like, it was really about back in 1994. So this was roughly 10 years before I ultimately, if you will, failed in this church plant. Mm -hmm. I was in a pastor prayer meeting. There's probably about, I don't know, two dozen pastors from our city that got together roughly once a month to pray for a revival in our city. And, um, I remember there was a, a real powerful move of God's spirit. A lot of us pastors were were deeply affected, and I was, and I don't normally get deeply affected like that, but I remember standing there weeping in front of God, in a sense, just, and he was showing me that my heart was hard. He was like, you know, I, I can't really fully use you until I do a few things in you. And so for me, a lot of what went on for me going out west was really like, just sort of this chemotherapy that just I, he had to kill a lot of stuff in me to remake me into uh, somebody who'd be more usable in his hands. And, you know, I, as a parent, I know if your child's going through some sort of treatment and he's he or she's just feeling terrible, you know, you, you, you almost want to unplug the machine and say, no, we're not going to do this. But only if you really love them, are you going to let this let it run its course? Because, you know, this is what they have to go through. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's a lot of what I had to go through just to make me more uh, more aware of, you know, God and and people around me and a lot of the pain that's out there. Uh, I just was I'm just much more tuned into it now. So, Pat, what were some of those things you talked about chemotherapy that had to be, you know, taken away, you know, uh, killed and removed? Well, you know, for me, I, I'm I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm, I'm a builder. I, you know, when I got into this ministry, I was uh, wanting to create something that was going to have impact. And and I think that a lot of your audience has that same drive. Yeah, but, I agree. You know, but here's the thing, you know, sometimes you can you can treat people as objects to help you accomplish your goals rather than treating them as people. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he took time for people that nobody else had time for, you know, the lepers and the, uh, the, the lame and the blind and uh, the demon possessed and children. And everyone was like, come on, get away from him. We got more important things to do. And he's like, no, 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 this is ministry right here. And so for me, it was a matter of it, at my church uh, that I attend, one of our slogans is one life matters. And it's the whole thing from Luke 15, where, you know, uh, the lady loses the coin, uh, the, the father loses his son, the, the, the shepherd loses one of his sheep, and it leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And so I think that was one of the things God had to do for me was just 
settle me down to, you know, if, if your, if your impact is, you know, doesn't show up on the radar, know that it's still happening. You just maybe it's not turning out the way you want it to turn out, which is a little bit too much about me, I think. So you were making it too much about you? Well, I, I think that it was a quest about, you know, you can use people toward your, to accomplish your goals, uh, as opposed to inviting people to, you know, join in with you on your goals, but you need to take the time to, you know, look to build them up and, you know, what do you do with the person who's not contributing as much to your, to your goals sometimes? Well, you know, you still need to treat them with great respect and dignity as opposed to, we're gonna have to cut you loose, you know, you're not doing it for us kind of thing. And I wasn't, I wasn't that harsh or crass, but it's the same sentiment in the heart, which is, you know, I, I look at somebody and I say, oh, I see, what I see is a gift mix. I don't see a person. Well, you know, and I, I can hear in your voice, and I can relate to this, um, you know, when, you, when you're walking down this path and you kind of have this vision and you're putting all this work and it, and it doesn't turn out, um, and like you said, the church plant failed, and what did you do to, you know, kind of reconnect, re-energize yourself, connect to a new vision and, and keep moving forward, Pat? Well, that's a great question. Um, so when, when I moved back to Atlanta, where like my, my parents live there and, and uh, you know, I went to school there, that kind of stuff. Um, I, for a while, was just basically, you know, like I said, keeping my nose clean, doing my job, that kind of thing. But, you know, at one point I had this conversation with a pastor that I knew and he challenged me on some assumptions I had in terms of my role versus God's role in success. Ooh, that um, was an interesting conversation. Well, I, I was I was basically lamenting the fact that, you know, you know, why isn't God making things better? And, you know, he'd say, well, what do you mean? And, you know, it's like, well, I'm praying for this, but it's not happening. And he, and he says, well, what are you doing about that? And it was it was like, like, you know, where's my joy? And he says, well, what are you doing? To grow your joy. And I'm like, well, that's something God does. And he says, no. And he pulls me, pulls open all these scriptures that basically say, you know, rejoice. They're all, they're all about, you know, the imperative. You need to rejoice. You need to be full of joy and that kind of stuff. And yes, joy is a fruit of the spirit, but it's also something we can cultivate. And, uh, and so from, from this conversation with him, I realized, and I also started listening to some speakers and read a couple of books that I was absolutely full of a lot of self-limiting beliefs. I just, I just did not see that there were a lot of things around me that God had put into this world that could help me keep moving forward. Um, in fact, I, I know a couple of people right now that sort of drive me nuts because uh, one, one is lamenting the fact they can't lose weight and they're praying about it, but they're eating terribly, they don't exercise, they, they do all the wrong things, and, um, you know, or I, I just need to get a different job. Well, why haven't you, you know, put out your application? And, oh, well, I tried and that doesn't really work kind of thing. And, and so really what I began to learn was that God had developed, uh, has, has placed into our creation a lot of resources that he's basically saying, use them, grow personally, become wiser. The, these universal principles, these common grace insights, um, in fact, one uh, one verse I really like is uh, Proverbs twenty five two, which basically says God, you know, is honored by what He has 
concealed into this world, but people are honored when they discover it and presumably use those things that he has he has placed in the world. And and so there's all these principles out there that, you know, you, you read John Maxwell's books or uh, scores of other people, Stephen Covey and those kind of folks, who are talking about things that we have figured out, either from research or from time-tested wisdom, that makes the difference so many times. And, and I started thinking about, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Coach John Wooden from UCLA, nine titles in 11 years and all that stuff. And the question is, was John Wooden a smarter basketball tactician than the other coaches? And the answer is no. Uh, in fact, ironically, it didn't matter who they played the next week. He would, they wouldn't watch film. They wouldn't try to dissect what the weaknesses of the other team. He basically said, we're just going to become the best team we can become. And, and, and he built a culture of, of achievement and taught these principles to his, to his teammates, who, I mean, his, his team. And so over time, they became just this dominant force. Um, and so I now see that there were so many things that I could have done differently, even when I was out west, that I was a little too uh, passive and a little bit too much like, woe is me, you know, things aren't going well. And so I sort of have a little motto which says, you know, those who don't learn and use these principles uh, share the same fate as those who don't know about them. Uh, and I don't want to be one of those people who oh, That's just, a powerful quote. So those that don't learn, learn them, these, yep. learn, learn about them and use them, cultivate them to grow uh, they share the same fate as those who don't know. It's 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 a it's a spinoff of Mark Twain's comment. It says that those those who can't uh, those who don't who don't read share the same fate as those who can't. Mm. And uh, so for me, you know, I part of what has driven me down the path that I'm on now is just like, oh my gosh, there's just a ton of stuff which has got me in the, into the world of decision making and all that stuff because it's like, oh my, I I can be a lot better at decision making. I you know. I even have a, uh, an article on my website that's basically talking about how to know the will of God. And part of it is praying and, and seeking him. And, and part of it is using wisdom. And, and there's a great passage in the book of Acts where the apostles do both. They prayed and they fasted. And it said they then they talked through the re- and reasoned out what they thought would be a good solution to this dilemma in Acts 15. And so... It's it's not an either or it's a both and. Mm-hmm. And you know the research that you've been doing recently on decision making, um, how does that you know apply to everything you've just been talking about? Well, you know, everybody has made decisions that they they kind of regret or that didn't turn out well. And see, I'm very deliberate. I'm very methodical. I'm. Uh, I'm intentional, and yet I, I'm just astounded as to how many times decisions didn't turn out well, even though I was trying to, you know, I wasn't doing something stupid, you know. And and so I was reading a book by Chip and Dan Heath called Decisive, which is a great book your audience ought to be reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, they lay out this whole case at the beginning of the book about, uh, you know, how we as humans are not good decision makers. And a couple of them that I pulled out, that I was going to share with your audience was they did this uh, 
they looked at uh, 20,000 executive searches. So these are recruiters, recruiters and headhunters and people who uh, this is their livelihood is to find the right candidate for the right position and for the company and all that. And and, you know, 40 percent of these things, uh, of these placements that they looked at were uh, senior level. And yet, despite the, hey, this is perfect, we took this test and we've looked at this, you know, within 18 months, um, almost half of the of the uh, choices went bust. They either quit, they left, they were fired. Uh, mergers and acquisitions, companies spent enormous amounts of money trying to pick the right companies to merge with or acquire with. 83% of them fail to help the company once they do it. I mean, there's there's statistics all over the place about how companies and people just don't make good decisions. And so the question is, are there principles that we could follow to make better decisions? And what we, what I've seen is there's two basic problems. One is the process that we follow. And Chip and Dan Heath talk through the process really effectively. Um, and I wrote up an ebook called Five Research Established Steps to Making Better Decisions. And it's basically walking you through the process. Yeah, and if you guys want um, to get that, just go to wiseinsights.net forward slash better dash decisions. Uh, and, the, and that'll also be in the show notes for this episode, too, to just reference that real quickly at Eternal Leadership. But, okay, process, and what was number two? The num number two, and this is what I've really been finding fascinating of late, and that is the fact that the decisions we make are predicated or based upon certain, quote, facts that we are evaluating. Well, it turns out that our perception of those facts are distorted. And if you're trying to make a decision based on a distorted fact, you're more than likely going to have a bad decision. So, so when you say distorted fact, what do you mean by that? Okay, so we, we just saw this uh, pretty extensively during this whole election season. So, you know, you have red states and blue states, and you have people who are vehemently opposed to one another in their particular perceptions. The, the, the irony of it all is that they are convinced that they see reality more clearly than the other side. And so there was this researcher, uh, his name was William Hart, and he analyzed, sort of did a meta-study of 91 different studies involving over 8,000 participants. And they were looking at, they had these, these participants in these fMRI machines. So they were basically watching their brains to see you know, how they were reacting when they were reading through certain materials. And so they had people who were like uh, dealing with political candidates. And so <laughs> what they did was they had, uh, so let's say, let's say, let's take, uh, and it's, this wasn't who they were, but let's just say take Hillary Clinton. So if you were a Hillary Clinton supporter, you'd be reading these, these facts about Hillary Clinton that were, you know, making her look good and you liked those. And then you, then you read some ones that made her look bad. And what they noticed was that in the brain, the brain only registered less than half of the facts. I mean, those sections of your brain didn't even light up when you read over certain facts. It's like you were, they were invisible to you. You just couldn't see them. So you almost called, have like this filter and you were actively rejecting actual facts that were not in alignment of either the opinion or the narrative or the, story you were that you wanted to tell yourself exactly and, and that's that's very typical of of the way these things operate where you're you're basically confirming the very thing that you believe and therefore you're you so if you sit and watch a certain news channel all day long or or read a certain 
you know, or listen to certain radio programs, you're going to you're going to just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more and more confirmed that I that I'm right. And uh, and really, the reality is, you know, my advice is open your eyes, uh, get exposed to a lot of different perspectives, because, you know, you may find there's truth in other quarters. And uh, rather than vilifying your opponents, you might actually find that you agree with them in certain instances. And that's a good thing. So, you know, confirmation bias is definitely one of those distortions that we see all the time. And, and how does that affect you in, you know, like day-to-day decisions that, that we have to make? Well, for me, uh, one of the things it does is it tends to make me want to be a lot more uh, humble in how I approach decisions. Um, I, it, the world is really not as black and white as, as we perceive it to be. Uh, there is a black and there is a white, uh, but not necessarily our perception of the black and white. Uh, there's a lot more gray in there. And so just approaching things with humility would be one thing that I've taken away from this. Another one is to get, and God's word talks about this a lot, get outside counsel. Um, you know, you can take perspectives of other people, you know, that you respect who maybe have a, a broader perspective and you'll find yourself what I call triangulating the truth, which is like, oh, okay. And pretty soon you come up with maybe something that wasn't what you believed, but now you do see it in a slightly different way. So, you know, that's one thing. And then I, I certainly think you, you need to be open to, you know, letting God show you some things because, um, you know, one of the things that God hates is the people who are stubborn or stiff-necked. They just, they just already have everything figured out. Well, uh, God can't really use those folks very well. Yeah, and okay, so that's a great principle is really focus on the facts and be open to looking at all the facts. Um, what are some of the other principles? Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of other principles, and it really depends on the, the situation. So um, let me talk to you a little bit about what, what they call a predictive bias. Um, these, these distortions are everywhere. So they, just, they distort how you view people. They distort how you view your current situation. They distort how you view the future. They distort how you remember the past. And, um, and so this one deals with how we view or predict the future. And uh, there's a whole bunch of studies I could get into, but just in very short order, this is one actually that I have, um, and how I'll kind of explain how I have to compensate against it. So if you were to look, ask somebody who's, hey, I'm about to start a new restaurant. Uh, okay, great. That sounds fantastic. Um, the, the facts are that within three years, 60% of new restaurants fail. That's the facts. But when you were to ask the person who's starting the restaurant, you know, oh, yeah, 81% of the people who are about to start a business said they were very confident their business was going to take off. Uh, in fact, 33% of those people uh, surveyed said that they had a zero chance of failure. Well, that's not reality, but that's how they perceived it. And so there are a couple of things you can do. For example, um, I usually try to set up what's called tripwires. Um, and tripwires are those things that you put into place that basically say, if in six months this happens or this doesn't happen, that I'm going to either go in a different direction or do something different or make some adjustments as opposed to being sure that things are going to happen and turn out. And so, you know, my kids, I've got teenagers, a lot of times they're telling me things that they, they're good. And I say, you know, well, we got to set up a tripwire because, you know, 
you could you could pursue this for the next 10 years and not get anywhere. You ought to have certain markers in place that help you know you're on the right track. So so there are a number of things you can do to help counteract the different biases. Well, I like that idea of tripwires. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, where does that, I guess, that, that bias come from? What's the source of us kind of looking ahead saying, you know what, I'm this is just going to be a, a slam dunk, a home run. Because I think if we're, we're going into it without being a little more pragmatic, um, we're probably not going to be applying, you know, some of the effort, the work, making the decisions we need to, to really succeed. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, so Daniel Kahneman, who was a Nobel Prize winning uh, economist, wrote a book about two years ago um, called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's an absolutely fascinating read. It's, it's a little dense on the, on the way he writes, but it's still full of really, really interesting things. And one of the things he noticed was that people view the world, he calls it what you see is all there is. So, you know, when you're, let's say, 17 years old and you're looking at the world as you see it, mm-hmm. you have certain variables and certain things and you make decisions on what you see. But the reality is that there's a lot more uh, there are a lot more variables out there that come into play that you just don't even see. You don't factor in. You don't know. In fact, Kahneman tells a story. Uh, it's it's he calls it the uh, the planning fallacy, which we're all guilty of this, where we things take a lot longer than we think they're going to take. Things cost a lot more than you think they're going to cost. And he was in this with this group of people and they were going to be developing this curriculum for a school system. And they ended up having these discussions. They said, well, let's go ahead and get this thing published. And they asked this one guy who was a part of the group, how long do you think it'll take us to publish this? What, about two years? And he said, well, the average is about seven. Most is most are around nine years to get your curriculum published. And they're like, no way. You know, we're already way ahead of these. And so they start to fool themselves into thinking that the that the averages and the, the statistics don't apply to them. Uh, and he says, we should have given up right then. But we were like, no. And he said, we just couldn't see what we couldn't see. And uh, over time, it ended up taking them nine years. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but we we just we just constantly want to believe that what we see is all there. All that we see is is all the facts that need to be uh, evaluated, and that's not true. Okay. So, and what are some other principles? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of different principles in terms of of uh, like like ownership. So, when when you own something, or there's there's one distortion called the IKEA effect. So when you invest a little bit of your time and your effort into, let's say, building some furniture, suddenly you view that furniture as being far more valuable than it really is. Um, some some call uh, also call it like the sunk cost fallacy, where we've already spent so much time and so much money on this project that, you know, we can't quit now, when in fact, maybe the wisest thing to do is to just to step back and say, is this the best use of our resources? And so, what he did, Kahneman did in this particular case, was he did this test with, with a group of students. And he walked in one day to his class and he said, I have these coffee mugs and they had the school logo on them. And he says, he says, half of you on this side of the room, I'm going to give this mug to you. And the other half, you know, you can look at the mugs, but, but you don't get one. 
And so then he asked the group who had um, didn't have the coffee mug. They didn't receive the coffee mug. It wasn't theirs now. And he said, how much would you pay for this coffee mug? And the average price that they were willing to pay was $2.87. Then they asked the group that received the mug, how much do you think you'd be willing to sell this for? What do you think they said? Hmm. More. Correct. But it was a lot more. They said, this, this mug is worth, and I would sell it for $7.12. Now, I don't know about you. I can get plenty of mugs, a lot less than $7. But from, it just totally distorted the way they saw the value of the mug. It was because it was now theirs. And they could not part with it without, you know, suffering some sort of loss. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that fits into that category of, of playing on people's sense of loss. And, and that's where scarcity, you know, the, Hey, we have the sale. It's over till tomorrow. Suddenly people feel like they have to do something because, you know, so there, there's all sorts of these distortions that go on. Uh, again, that infographic that I created, the, the 50 hidden influences that may be wrecking your decisions. It goes over all of these. It describes them. It gives them great detail and it has a lot of statistical, I mean, you read it and you go, really? Seriously? And you just want to dispute it. You want to say, that that can't be true. But they've got the statistics where they, they you know, they got people's responses. And it's like, yeah, there it is. Well, and this infographic is fantastic, uh, everyone. You're going to want to get this and definitely read through it and print it out. Put it up in, um, near your desk. And uh, the link for that will be on uh, the show notes for this post. And, you know, in Utah, there, you know, there's so many different, you know, you know, it's our perspective. It's um, things about, you know, our experience, right? You talked about limiting beliefs in the past. And, you know, there's this whole area of the brain, the hippocampus, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, things in the past, like, like we might go meet somebody and all of a sudden you just have this instant reaction like, boy, I don't like this guy or, or, or this woman. And it could be a mannerism, maybe a color they're wearing, something that, you don't even realize it, but it's associated with a very strong, maybe a negative memory somewhere buried in, in your past. And all of these things color and filter how we're thinking um, in the decisions we make in the moment. So um, what is, you know, incorporating some of these things that we've, we've learned, and there's so much more, but um, what is kind of that process that you help people with to kind of go through to actually make better decisions, Pat? Well, a lot of it depends on the type of decision. Um, as a general rule, it's better to slow down a little bit. Um, in, in general, in fact, this is a huge principle um, where you, you don't want to make single option decisions if you can help it. Um, you know, should I do this or not? Should I move to this city or not? Should I take this job or not? Now, sometimes you have no options other than one. But, you know, if you're trying to make decisions, it's always better to make to to come up with a lot of different options as much as possible. Uh, And once you do that, you uh, you negate some of the um, the the decision uh, blindness that you would typically have. Uh, In fact, Chip and Dan Heath in their book basically say the decision making success rate of a typical adolescent teenage girl is no different than the decision-making success rate of a careful, deliberate company making a merger or acquisition decision. Um, 
And it's always because it's a single option. And they actually went back and looked and figured out that, you know, the companies that, that they even evaluated, this was a single option decision. These didn't turn out so well. Uh, and these decisions we made had multiple options. And they, they, most of these turned out much better. So it's principles like that. It's, it's recognizing in the process to come up with more, more options for your decision, uh, evaluating them a little bit differently, and then, you know, being prepared to be wrong, that, you know, you can do all the right things and your decision still may not turn out well. And so you need to do things like tripwires or pre-mortems to figure out, well, if it does start to go south, how do we either protect ourselves or get it back on track? So one of the things is kind of a flag in the process, right? When, you, when you're evaluating something and it's kind of either or, do I do this or not, is what, um, you know, how do you start helping people to frame up looking at, looking at that differently, a different perspective to making a decision? So one way you can do it is just take that option off the table. So um, if, if you were to say, should I go to this college or not, well, what if that option was not available? You were not going to be able to get a scholarship there or they weren't going to accept you. What would you do? And you'd say, well, I guess I would do this, 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 and this. Okay. And, and, and start trying to put some new things into the mix um, because it really helps you to begin to see things a little bit more objectively. Uh, you know, we, we tend to fool ourselves into, again, all, what we see is all there is. And really, the reality is, you know, if you start to look at certain options and start to say uh, uh, sort of what's the economic loss, like if I don't spend the money on this particular option, what else can I do with that money? And then suddenly you start to realize, wow, I could do this, this and this. That that would be a better way to use this money than to do this. So a lot of it's just little techniques to kind of take a different perspective and it opens up amazing doors of of view that you didn't realize were even there you know i agree with you because you know sometimes you know slowing down and saying okay what if i make this decision and it works out very well what is the the purpose and the objective that this is leading me toward and then you know can i almost hit you know you know those uh that video technique right whether like they freeze frame like at an intersection and they're kind of mm -hmm. moving around and I can see now everybody from all these different perspectives because it's like, uh, you know, an accident in New York City and somebody who's on one corner describes the accident to the police. Somebody on the other corner describes the accident completely differently, but neither right. of them are wrong. And it, but if you can put yourself in that position where you're now looking at the decision, uh, the consequences, what you're trying to accomplish in making this decision from multiple different perspectives... And what I've uh, also found really powerful is kind of name that. If I'm going to decide to, you know, uh, pour all my resources into this certain marketing effort, okay, we're going to call that, you know, X strategy. And what if we, what, you know, what is that going to get us now? Instead of, and you might get all excited. You do the research, you interview some firms, and you're committed to this course of action without ever really slowing down and saying, okay, is there, a different way, a better way, something that's totally counterintuitive, something that has nothing to do with social media, just as an example. And that actually, that's what we, we did um, last fall. We were 90% we were of the way down the road toward a big decision to commit our company toward expanding into a whole new area. 
And when we went through this process as a team, Pat, we actually decided uh, this 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 path that we were on with how we were going to market and grow the company. We actually ended up completely scrapping that. And what has happened is the growth that we've experienced since we did that has probably been double. I think what would have happened if we'd gone on that original course. So. But you know what? It took a conscious decision to kind of slow down and step back and say, why are we doing this? You know, what is the meaning of this decision? And what are we really trying? What does this really look like if we were all sitting around a year from now and we're just high fiving and celebrating, you know, what was going on in our business? And does that decision move us toward that? Or are there better ways that might move us toward there also that we would that we should really consider? Absolutely. And, you know, you know, on the flip side, you have to be careful that you don't get into the uh, analysis paralysis where you, you're afraid to make a decision. I, I like Dave Ramsey's uh, quote where he says something like, well, I make a decision and if it doesn't work, I make another decision. You know, you just you have to come to grips with the fact that not everything that you try to think through is going to work out well. But most often, if you slow down long enough and take some different viewpoints and get some different perspectives the universe opens up with all sorts of new options, you know, in, in terms of what your choices are. And then you can make a better decision because you have better options. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Now, as we wrap up, what are just two or three things you'd love to leave with everybody if they've been just listening into this conversation? Well, s- simply, you know, use use the resources that God has placed into this world um, to me. I think there are people who uh, underutilize uh, these common grace insights, these learning to grow personally, learning to understand what people have started to figure out from science or from time-tested wisdom. So, you know, move forward as much as possible to continue to grow and do it, you know, with humility. Uh, I do also run into entrepreneurs who, who are following certain principles and they their equation for success is uh follow the principles work hard and i'm going to be the king of the hill and you know they may end up being king of the hill but they're the king of the wrong hill and they're you know unhappy so that's where you know understanding your 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 purpose in life uh and where god really wants you to be how he's made you and things like that that you talk about a lot on your podcast and in your resources john you know that's that's kind of completing the equation. So for me, my equation these days is to you know learn, grow, understand a lot of these principles, uh, pray, seek God, understand what He's revealing, and then work hard. You can't avoid that either. And then you know let God uh, give you the success that He thinks you you know you need. Yeah, I love that because you know I think one of the one of the most powerful things for us, I think, in making better decisions um, is is that counsel with God and also having, you know, godly men around and women around us as counselors that we're just really, uh, we've gotten to a place where we're really just authentic and real with and just kind of sharing um, everything. You know, you're giving them per- permission uh, to really question, you know, your motives, what the outcomes you're really trying to seek. Uh, is this in everybody's best interest? And, you know, I, I think that's also, you know, as a leader, having those authentic relationships for me 
and having like myself, I have a personal board of directors, people I go to that I really trust to speak into me who can be very candid, very frank and, you know, question things. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's in that questioning of a decision that, you know, you really uh, get that clarity that, you know what, uh, that original gut reaction, I think is actually right. We're going to go with that. Or, you know what, there's a better way. And that's what, like I described, that's what happened a few months ago as we really questioned our approach here and what we were trying to do. It became clear to me that, you know what, there's options that we haven't even talked about or explored yet um, that are going to, that might get us to where we want to go um, with better results. And that, and that's what ended up happening. But that took a lot of, you know, just being able to kind of let go. I think that is, that's part of it, right? Letting go of the ownership of that decision too, a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good point, John. You you definitely have to, uh, you know, trust that all your work of trying to, you know, evaluate the decision and, you know, seeking God on that, that you can let him, you know, lead you where you, where you need to go. Awesome. And how, how can people get in touch with you and connect with you, Pat? Well, certainly uh, drop me a line uh, on my website, wiseinsights.net. Feel free to come over um, and just say hi. Uh, I've got a lot of really awesome resources there that are free. Got some really good articles there as well. Uh, I also have a Twitter Twitter account that they can hop in on, wise underscore insights, and then the number four and the number and then the letter U. So wise insights for you. Uh, and I have a lot of inspirational stuff there as well as articles and different things there. So uh, by all means, feel free to come see me there. Wonderful. And Pat, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, all of us need, you know, to take that wisdom, apply it, make better decisions as we just navigate our way on this, you know, this journey that we're all on. Absolutely. We can all do better than we're currently doing for sure. <laughs> Yes. Some of us more than others. Just ask my wife. Ouch. <laughs> no, she's an amazing partner. I got to tell you, she's probably one of my closest people in that personal board. And, and, but you know what? I love the fact that we just have this relationship where we just, we can really have these candid conversations where I don't feel like I'm being attacked. I don't feel, um, you know, that my, my competence is being questioned. You know, and I think when you, when I, and it's taken me a long time to kind of get to that place. Um, but now being in this place and continuing to work to be better at this uh, has really uh, just helped me do things uh, better. I can't say, you know, perfectly, uh, but better. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody really knows you quite like your spouse. Yeah, we've been married 27 years now, Pat, and it's just been um, my best friend. He's awesome. That's fantastic, John. Yep. Well, my friend, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that and look forward to uh, following up with you and being useful to you in any way that we can. And you keep doing what you're doing, John. Your, uh, your ministry is just outstanding, and I'm excited to see what you're up to next. Well, thank you, my friend, and uh, we'll, we will talk to you soon. All right. Take okay. care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? 
The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>